Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors. I've been here a long time and, uh, and uh, just going to keep on hanging out because we've been doing this amazing journey together for many years. We've continued and tackled some of the most difficult books of the Bible. We took a run at Revelation a summer ago. Now we've been working on Song of Solomon. I'll tell you what, uh, we've been kind of knocking them down one at a time. And I want to thank you for just being willing to go into some of the more risky sections of Scripture and really talk about truth. I think it's beautiful. For those of you who haven't been around, we'd like to welcome you on board the journey. We've been doing a series on the pure and explicit and intimate love song between Mr. and Mrs. Solomon that we find in a book called The Song of Solomon. We have observed them be both spiritually and physically intimate with each other to a, with a level of vulnerability that could make just about anybody blush and also to make us feel a little, self-con- a little self-conscious. We've learned about pure relationships between us and God and, 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 and spouses, husband and wife and wife and husband and friends and co-workers and, and sons and daughters and daughters and sons. I mean, it just it, we've been looking at this kind of holistically. And tonight, as we get ready to land the plane, we're going to wrap up the series. We're going to start something brand new starting next week. I'd love to tell you a story. George and Mildred Collins were an elderly couple that attended Faith Fellowship Baptist Church in Brandon, Manitoba, where I grew up. Once a week, I was volunteered by my mom to go and uh, mow George and Mildred's lawn. I love doing that because George always slipped me a couple bucks. Plus, he'd he'd also give me a tip. And the tip I would take to the corner store right around the corner from where George and Mildred lived, and and I would buy myself an ice-cold bottle of Tab, okay? If you don't know what Tab is, it's probably good for both your stomach and your body. I'm just saying, okay? There's a reason why it's kind of gone, all right? Mildred Collins loved Jesus for decades, but every Wednesday night, she would ask us to pray for her husband, George. Mildred loved Jesus, not so much for George. And I'll never forget the night that my dad came home, tears pouring down his face, saying he'd just come home from George and Mildred's house because he and Franklin McDowell, one of the other deacons from the Baptist church, had been there with their Bibles, and George had given his heart to Jesus at the ripe old age of 84. We were so thrilled because decades, decades of Mildred's prayers were answered. That following summer, I arrived to mow their lawn. And I did what I normally did. I went to the garden shed and I knocked on it because normally George was in there tinkering on some little motor. I called for Mr. Collins and there was no answer. I knocked on the back door. There was no answer. So I stepped into the back porch and knocked on the the door of what would have been their kitchen. and, And when the door pushed itself open, I saw something that is still stuck in my brain. George and Mildred were dancing in the kitchen. Now, part of me freaked out because I grew up in a conservative church where dancing was from the devil. And so, (laughs) I didn't really know what to do with that. They said you weren't allowed to dance because we all know what dancing led to. That's what their explanation was. I don't understand it to this day. But But I, I stood there and I just watched Mr. and Mrs. Collins waltz in the kitchen. I'd never seen them touch before. And I couldn't help but think in that moment, when Jesus forgives and restores and renews and pulls people together. His pure love has a way of just invading their hearts. And the look between George and his wife as they were about six inches apart was absolutely pure and intimate and beautiful because the one barrier that had held them apart all those years was finally gone. And they danced 
And it was beautiful. It reminded me of, of Jason Hubbard's favorite verse from Zephaniah chapter 3 where it says, Jesus loves us so much, he spins and dances over top of us. I think Jesus gives us the kind of love that makes you want to dance in the kitchen, even if you're alone. Over the last couple of weeks, you've been watching a video bumper happen before I come out, and, and, and there was a young lady, all dressed in white, um, dancing for us. Her name's Casey. Casey actually goes to this church. Casey found her way back to Jesus through a ministry called Alpha, and through some of the people that are sitting right in front of me, I see you, and thank you so much for loving her in that way. Jesus never let Casey go. He held on to every piece of her. And tonight we got to see poetry in motion. As she, as she danced a, a song of praise to the God of Savior. In the final two chapters of this book, Mr. and Mrs. Solomon pour out their hearts. I mean, they lay it out there. They speak about their love and their hearts and their intentions. In the beginning of chapter 7, Mr. Solomon is making us really uncomfortable again because he's checking out his wife. This time he breaks this pattern all the way through the book. He's been starting at the top of her head and working all the way to her feet because he just can't believe that someone that beautiful could fall in love with him. In this particular context, in chapter 7, he actually starts and works from the ground up. Starts at her feet and then admires her legs and then he just keeps heaping praise on top of her. And then he says these words, which will make you blush just a little bit. He says... I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I love what I see and I want that. This is chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 8 of Song of Solomon. It's in your Bible, even if it makes you uncomfortable. I want you to underline the words, I will. I will. That is pure romantic intent and it's important, not because of what you're going to get out of it, but because of what it can communicate to the person on the other end. Now, I'm speaking in a marriage context here. He's saying to her, you're my standard of beauty. You take my breath away. I can't stand to be apart from you. What I want more than anything is to experience physical and spiritual intimacy with you. He's saying to her, I want you, I need you, I'm pursuing you. Married people, can I ask you a question? Are you still pursuing each other? Like you did when you were lovesick teenagers. When you were dating each other and you couldn't stand to go more than three or four minutes without, without thinking a thought or, or pursuing or writing a card or, or picking up the phone or doing something to try and communicate to the other person just how amazing they are. We pursued as part of dating and here's what I see happen all the time. Then we get married and all the pursuit stops. And we wonder why our love grows cold. Let me be as blunt as I possibly can. If you're married, you need to climb the tree. You know what I'm talking about? You need to climb the tree. If you're not married, no tree climbing for you, all right? You understand what I'm saying? Married or not married, in a spiritual sense, God invites us to come to us. And to scale the heights of everything that he's offered to us. And in doing so, he asks us to be like him. We're supposed to crucify our agenda, die to a selfish desire, and learn what it means to really live free. Our relationships should look different than the relationships in the world if Jesus is at the center. Can I get an amen? 
Supposed to look different, talk different, and act different. Let's keep going. He talks, and then she responds to her husband's with these words. I belong to my beloved. That's Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10, the first part. Do me a favor, underline the words, I belong. I belong. To say that you belong to another human being, that takes pure trust. Pure trust. So I belong to Laurel. Have for 27 years. Laurel belongs to me. And that sounds scary. To lay yourself down in front of another human being, it sounds vulnerable. It also sounds unbelievably godly. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says these words. This is tough, frank talk from Scripture. It says, now for the matter you wrote about. So obviously somebody was asking him some questions about intimacy. He said, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring... Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Listen to this. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Gentlemen, that's to you. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Ladies, that's to you. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. And then he says, don't deprive each other. Keep the passion in the relationship. Love the romance. Go the extra mile. Don't back off as the years go by. Press in. Don't deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come back together again so Satan won't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. In fact, he says, I wish that you were all as I am. Let me define that for you. He goes, I actually wish you were all single like I was. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, the other has that. Let me talk to the married people in the room first. If you're married, you don't belong to you. You don't belong to you. You both belong to Jesus, and Jesus wants you to give yourself to each other willingly. It's one of the best ways to protect your relationship, to make sure that you're not vulnerable. Why is that so important? Because we are all easily compromised. Isn't that true? In a world that's saturated with sexual distractions, we are easily distracted. He wants us to give ourselves to each other willingly to protect the relationship. If you're single here today, God bless your heart. You need only give yourself to Jesus, which is an upgrade, because Paul says he wishes that we were all like him, and he was single. For the record, Jesus was single and he did just fine focused on his relationship with God the Father, and it worked out fantastic for him. That should be an incentive for us. It's an act of trust. She continues, and his desires for me. That Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10b. And I want you to underline these words, for me. Here's what she says, his desire is for me. That is pure, directed desire, and it's good, right, and godly. Desire's not ugly, Desire's not dirty. Desire is beautiful in the right context. You want to know what's not right? Let me get super blunt in this one. What's not right is for the husband to be downstairs in his office surfing porn while his wife is upstairs in the bedroom reading romance novels and they're both pretending that everything at home is fine. There we go. We don't like talking that way, but that's just true. Marital desire is supposed to be directed at your spouse and your spouse alone. And don't use the cop-out. I hear this all the time. Well, they're just not meeting my needs. What about the need to simply obey Jesus? 
What about the need to do what he's asked us to do, regardless of how we actually feel about it? Some of you are just like, Grant, I don't like this stuff. You keep putting all this responsibility at my feet. Let me say this. That's because you can't change anybody, but you can control your responses towards anybody. She keeps talking. Listen to this. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let's spend the night in the villages. Let's go to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. That's Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. And I want you to underline the words, let us. Okay? That is pure spiritual initiative. Pure spiritual initiative. Gentlemen, Mrs. Solomon said it, but you should do it if you want to be the spiritual leader in your home. You know, we make this stuff so complex but I, over the years, I have boiled this down. Spiritual leadership is as easy as using the word let's. L-E-T apostrophe S. It works like this. Hey, we've had a hard day. Let's pray. Hey, we haven't talked for a while. Let's go for a walk. Hey, let's go to church. Hey, let's make sure that we read the Bible together. Hey, here's a novel idea. Let's turn off the TV and talk. Hey, let's serve together. Hey, let's go to the Seven Principles Marriage Conference next weekend. I think we've got some work to do and some things that we can learn. Now, can both spouses take the initiative? Absolutely yes. Here's the problem. When neither one of them do it, or when the husband puts all the responsibility on his wife's shoulders, Ladies, you've been carrying this burden for far too long, and it's time for the men of Christ the King to man up. Can I get some amens? Just saying. See, the problem is when nobody does it, no one takes the initiative, that word lets, it just disappears. So I want to challenge you. If you're married, find a way to use that word three times in the next week and see whether or not it doesn't change the dynamic of your relationship. She keeps talking. She says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That's Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4. Underline the words, do not, okay? Underline them, do not. That is pure godly patience. And I'd like you to add two more words, because I handed in my outline and then I added something later, okay? It's pure godly patience and the word protection. It's protection. I've said this before, God puts boundaries around things that are holy and dangerous, and sex is both. It's dangerous to people if they use it wrong. That's why God says be patient. Make sure it's love, and the way you know it's love is if you enter into a covenant relationship with a human being. Human promises don't last. A covenant before God's got a shot because he's actually involved. So you make sure it's real love that's based on a covenant before you pursue it, because I will tell you something, lust and love are not the same thing. Lust will pull you away from godly obedience that Jesus desires. So here's the deal, if you're in a relationship and you're not experiencing more of Jesus, it's lust, not love. Because Jesus brings more. He brings more. One's a sin, the other's actually holy. Now we hear this and we react. It's just like, I get it, Grant. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm supposed to wait till I'm married, hurry up and move on, okay? I got it. That's a part of it. But for years, I've been trying to flip it around. I would actually ask it a different way. It's not, are you waiting? I would ask this question. Are you worth waiting for? 
Are you worth waiting for? You're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You are worth waiting for. Somebody will say, but Grant, I already messed up. Then let's just back up the train a little bit. Are you worth waiting for now that you've been washed pure by the blood of Jesus? And everything has been restored to you because God can put all of the pieces back together again. Are you worth waiting for? The Bible just says, let love wake up slowly. I mean, Laurel knows. If she wakes me up too fast, there's no love in the room at all, right? I wake up grumpy. I'm grumpy. It's not good at all. The same principle applies for us. Let love wake up on its own. Don't set an alarm. Don't stare at the clock. Live a life of freedom. And when God says it's time, you'll know. Now the friends start talking. I love this. They say, who's this coming from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Oh boy. That's Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 5. I want you to underline the words leaning on. Leaning on. That is pure interdependence. Okay? Independent relationships, they don't work in the context of love because you can't do life apart. You're not supposed to. The meshed relationships where you're so interconnected that nobody can tell, like, it's just like, which one is which, okay? That's not healthy either. The meshed relationships have bought into the biggest lie about love that's ever been perpetrated on the face of the earth. And that lie says that another human being can complete you. I'm going to blow your mind. Jerry Maguire lied. You understand? Jerry Maguire lied, right? Because he has that moment where he's just like, you know, you complete me. And she's like, I, you had me at hello and that whole thing. It's not true. No human being can complete your soul. Don't expect them to. Only Jesus can complete you. And interdependence is the only way to keep a godly balance. There have been seasons in our life where I have leaned so heavily on Laurel. She was the only one there to hold me up. And I'll tell you what, that girl is strong. She's strong. There have been seasons where I got to return the favor. But here's what God is saying. In all of your relationships, lean in. Lean on. Here's the last one. But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and 200 are for those who tend its fruit. That's Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 12. And I want you to underline the words, it's mine to give. Mine to give. That is pure personal ownership. Which means this. Whatever I have to offer, it's mine to give. Jesus said, I have the authority to lay my life down, and I've got the authority to pick it back up again. I don't have the strength to pick it back up again, so my only job is to lay my life down. I lay my life down at the foot of the cross, and I say, God, I recognize that everything you've given me, I am simply a steward of, and who I choose to give it to is my responsibility. So what does God want more than anything? He wants you to give yourself to Him first, and then to let the relational choices for the rest of your life come under the lordship of his good grace, which means I come to Jesus and say, Jesus, before I pursue anyone, I pursue you, because you're never going to lead me in the wrong direction. Some of you remember Pastor Sam, big Texan with a guitar. He's the pastor of CTK Yakima, and Sam just inherited 
his dad Charlie's 40 years of sermon notes. Binders and binders and binders of handwritten material. And as Sam is slowly flipping through a binder, he'll send me a, a Charlie gold nugget every once in a while. Some of you met his dad Charlie. Talked with a slow southern drawl. He was the guy that told me, Grant, never miss a glorious opportunity to just shut up. <laughs> we all fell in love with Charlie. He'd come around, hang out, and you just wanted to sit and listen to him. It's like talking to Moses all the time. In a binder called Marriage, Charlie wrote these words. Only allow yourself to be deeply attached and attracted to the other person's soul. Get to know it, search for it, dig it out at times, and love it deeply. For it's the only part of the prospective spouse that will not change over time. Amen, Charlie. What I love about my Bible is you can find Jesus everywhere. Jesus climbed the tree of Calvary for the sake of love. Gave his life to the Father in an act of absolute, pure, and implicit trust. Came here to show us that we belong in his family. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us for a little while. His desire for us is to actually receive his love. He invites us to join him in eternity. So he wants us to walk together in freedom. His love for us is wide awake and he invites every one of us to lean on him. And all of that love was for him to give. And he gave it freely, completely. There's a word for that and the word is love. So as we kind of wrap up this series, I want you to listen to a final declaration of eternal love, some final thoughts about Jesus through Mr. and Mrs. Solomon. In chapter 8, you'll find these words. I'm going to let you go find them on your own because I think they should be underlined in every single Bible that you have. She's speaking, but I believe she's speaking for Jesus to us. When she says, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It will never let you go. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. In this final description of love, I call this the 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter of the Old Testament, and you can sum it up in two verses. Mrs. Solomon says this, don't miss it. Love is as strong as death, and it can't be killed by time or disaster. Nothing can stop love. It can't be bought for any price. The richest man in the world could not buy the love of her heart. Because love can only be given and received as a gift. Otherwise, it's not love. Love is priceless. Solomon couldn't afford it. That's why she gave it freely. But in order to fully love, you've got to accept God's love and offer that love within the framework that honors Jesus. Otherwise, I promise you, all of your relational pursuit will end in pain. When your love for God is reflected in a holy relationship, then and only then 
Does love conquer all? So I have a favorite moment in every wedding that I do. My favorite wedding moment, I never warn the groom what I'm going to do ahead of time. And I've done it in almost every single wedding I've ever done. Those of you that have been around for a while, you know what I'm going to say already because you've heard me say this. But there's a moment right before the rings, right before the vows, when I take a step back and I just say, before we go any further, I have a question. And I'm going to ask you, and I point at the guy, and here's the deal. I say to him, if you get the answer wrong, I'm leaving. And you can find somebody else to do your wedding. And they get this totally freaked out look on their face. And then I say to him, if it ever happened and it came down to a choice between your life or hers, would you die for her? And it gets real quiet. And her dad sits up in the front row. I want to hear the answer to this question. And you better not get it wrong. That is my little girl. You just watch the body language. It's incredible. And I watch these big tough guys in their way too tight suits. (laughs) Bottom lip starts to go. Just for the record, my son is in the service tonight. And on July the 1st, I will ask you this question, just so you know, bro. And because we've fallen in love with Olivia, you better get it right. I'm just saying, all right? But I watch these big guys, the lip starts to go, and they choke off the words, I I would. And then I say to her, what just happened in your heart? You hold on to because no matter what life throws at you, what happened in your heart right now, love will win if you remember that he just said he'd die for you. Church, can I remind you of something? God the Father stood in front of his son looking at the bride, which would be all of us, and he asked him a question, would you die for her? And Jesus said, yeah. I will die for them because I love them so much. I want eternity with them. I want commitment with them. I want covenant with them. Even if they let go of me, I will not let them go. I will pursue them. I will protect them. I will hold on to them. So Jesus came. That's Christmas. Jesus lived. That's your Bible. Jesus died. That's the crucifixion. That's Easter. Jesus rose again. And in that moment, Jesus proved That love is pure and love conquers all. If you've never experienced that, you can. If you define yourself by your failure, Jesus would say, I don't want you to do that anymore. I love you. I want you. And once I have you, I will never let you go. that's the end of the book. There's so much more in there we could spend years. But my hope and prayer is that this little snapshot would fill your heart regardless of your marital status. It really doesn't matter. 
Because the love of God is what holds on to each one of us. So we're not going to close with a song. We're not going to do anything fancy tonight. I just want this to sit in your heart. So Christ the King, would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me? And we're going to simply pray. And then we'll be dismissed. Father God, I thank you for what is beautiful and what is right and what is pure. And I thank you, God, that given every opportunity to see us as we really are, you choose to look at us as pure, white, beautiful, radiant, forgiven, restored, renewed, and yours. God, I pray tonight for anyone who's in this room who's never experienced that kind of love. And I pray right now they would open their heart and say, Jesus, I'm yours. I give myself fully and completely to you. I will hold nothing back. Forgive my sin. Wash me as white as snow and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I pray for relational brokenness, whether it's husband and wife, mom and dad and child, brother to sister, friend to friend, co-worker to co-worker. God, whatever it is, may we live in such a way as to live out this kind of purity in relationships. God, the Bible says that they will know that we love Jesus by our love for one another. So God, would you heal any rift? Would you repair any broken friendship? God, would you restore every broken marriage and would you allow us all to reach to you knowing that it was your love that conquered our sin. God, I thank you for the honor and privilege it's been to speak these words and preach this truth. And God, as we leave from here tonight, may we live to the words of Zephaniah chapter 3. May we be like Jesus and may we dance a dance of joy knowing that God has made us pure. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's blood-bought children agreed together and said, Amen. Amen.